Welcome to The Pursuit. I'm your host, Ben Spangle. I'm excited to have you here today. At our show, we're all about helping you in the pursuit of your best body, mind, spirit, and life. Thanks for being here. I am so happy to have you here today. This is a very special episode for many reasons, but this is episode 100. You know, most podcasts, from what I heard, don't make it past the 14th or 15th episode. Most don't last more than a year. And as of, as of today, we're in the middle of November when I'm recording this, and we are almost to the day, almost, we might even be to the day, but almost to the day three years ago when I started The Pursuit. And at that point in time, I, uh, the way it all happened, I had some great encouragement from a good friend of mine that she had asked me, have you ever thought of starting your own podcast or YouTube or something like that? And I said, yeah, I've thought about it, but I don't think I'm going to do it. I think it's too much work. I don't, I don't think I want to get distracted from it. She goes, well, hey, I think a lot of people would listen. I know I would, and I think you got a lot to share. I said, all right. Six months later, I think she asked me again. And this time I said, all right, I'm going to do it. So I bought my little equipment. I bought my first uh, microphone, the Blue Yeti, which is a great starting microphone if you ever want to start a podcast. I use a different one today, but a great one. And I bought that Blue Yeti, and it sat, you know, if you can see me on video right now, it sat on the little bottom shelf here. Uh, down in my bookshelf. If you can't, you can picture it. And it sat there for, I don't know, three or four months. And then one day, I'm, you know, intuition, I guess, impulse, but something happened where I said, all right, screw it. Let's do it. I'm going to record the first episode. And that began the pursuit. That was November 2020. And that very first episode you'll actually get to hear a clip from later today uh, has been the most downloaded episode that we've had uh, by far, which is great. So today's a special day. This episode is going to be a special episode. What we're going to do is we're going to take uh, clips from the top 10 most downloaded episodes in our podcast history so far, and uh, our guests are 10 best moments of, uh, of 100 episodes, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, I got to share with you, you know, when I started, I had a vision for this. I wanted to become one of the top podcasts in the world, and uh, at the time of the recording now, we are in the top 1% of podcasts worldwide. And which I'm very grateful for. Uh, and we're going to move into the top 0.1 and eventually the top 0.01%. And I know that. Uh, but it's not, it's not because of me. It's not because of something special, but it's because of you, the listener. I mean, we, I know that we're bringing great guests. I know we're bringing great content. But without you, we could not have this great show that we have today. So thank you for being part of this. I want to give some thanks to uh, several people. I mean, now, you know, our, our podcast is now in 58 countries all over the world, downloaded in over 58 countries all over the world. So thank you, wherever you're listening from, thank you. I'm grateful to all of the guests that we've had on the show in the last three years. We've had some incredible guests that have been so gracious with their time and their energy and giving of them and themselves so that they can help somebody else with their message. I'm grateful to the support that I've had from our team and specifically my right hand, Jen. She's done an unbelievable job. Uh, with that and continues to do an even better and better job. And lastly, I know I said it, but I want to say it again. I'm grateful for you because without you, the show doesn't mean a lot. You know, it'd just be me talking into a microphone or me meeting a guest. And I guess it'd still be fun having some cool conversations with some guests, less fun talking to myself. But the reason I do this is for you. I want this podcast, this show, I want it to make a difference in your life. I want you to be able to create your ideal future, to have the body you want, the mind you want, the spirit, the soul that you want, to have the life that you truly want and to be living it in a state of flow where everything seems to be just happening for you and life is wonderful. And that's why I do this. That's why I keep bringing guests. That's why I keep doing it week in, week out and uh, creating content for you that can help you do that. So thank you. Thanks for being a part of this amazing community, this amazing journey. And uh, thanks for listening. So, Today, we're going to hear, like I said, from 10 episodes we're going to hear from. And I want to share with you, give you a little heads up, because we're going to jump from clip to clip to clip, so you'll get to hear it. But the first episode you're going to hear from is the very first episode of the podcast we ever did. And it was an episode entitled Clarity. It was a short episode, 20 minutes maybe, uh, but packed with ideas on how do you begin to create a vision for your ideal future. So you're going to get to hear a clip from that. You're going to hear from Daniel Mangana. Dan has become a friend of mine. I didn't know him before the show, but we got introduced together. And this guy is an amazing guy all about the abundance game. I loved that episode. Brian Moran is going to be the next guest. And again, this is a massively downloaded episode that we had. Brian Moran co-authored the book, The 12 
week year, which if you're looking for a tactical book on how do you begin to action plan and, and create tactics in your business life and personal life, it's the best book I've ever read on it. We're going to hear from my friend Jillian Shecker. Jillian is a joy warrior, as she puts it, and that episode was all about developing a joy for life. You're going to get to hear from Mr. Dakota Robertson. Dakota is a young man. I think he's in his mid-20s, and he has built a social media empire, I'd say. He's got an incredible business in the ghostwriting business. He's got a great social media following, and, and he shares some amazing strategies for social media. There was another episode I did solo that was called Change Your Mind, Change Your Life that was one of the top downloaded. Uh, we get to hear from Dr. Eben Alexander. Eben was a neuroscientist, a yeah, very analytical neuroscientist, and he had a near-death experience where he was in a coma for a long time. He wrote an amazing book called Proof of Heaven, which is an absolute must-read on your library. And um, that book changed my life, actually. But I was so grateful to have him on the show. So you get to hear from Dr. Eben Alexander, and one of the top researchers in consciousness now. You get to hear from Dr. Tyler Panzer. Dr. Panzer just came on the show not that long ago, I think a couple months ago maybe, but still one of our quickest and fastest downloaded episodes all about becoming your healthiest self, and he studies a lot in terms of your genetics and how that can apply into your life in terms of what you can eat, not eat, etc. Great episode. We get to hear from Dr. Mindy, Dr. Mindy Pels. Mindy is... I think probably the top, in my opinion, the top expert on fasting in the world. And she has a massive YouTube channel. So if you have any interest in fasting, she's the person to go to for research on that. But we had her on the show, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago. I'm not really sure. But an amazing episode, massively downloaded. And lastly, you get to hear from a guy who has been a mentor to me from a distance through his books and programs for, I don't know, you know, probably 13, 14 years. And that's Steve Siebold, author of 177 Mental Toughness Secrets. I keep the book on my back shelf. He also wrote another great book called How Rich People Think. Both are phenomenal books. He has many more, uh, but incredible on the subject of developing mental toughness. So I hope you enjoy today. If you're new to the show, you're catching it a great episode. Make sure to go all the way back to episode one and start going through it because we have so many great guests we've had here over this last hundred episodes. If you've been with us from the start, thank you. Well, thank you for at any point that you've joined with us. I'm so happy to have you and appreciate you so much. I hope you enjoy today. Years ago, I remember reading Steve Siebold's book, 177 Mental Toughness Secrets. I've read it multiple times since then. Uh, amazing book. And he introduced me to, he was the first guy that introduced me to Bob Proctor. And if you haven't studied any Bob Proctor, I recommend you do. That guy is a master of the mind, unbelievable resource for how to really start to change the way that you think and ultimately change the results you produce in your life. And one of the concepts I learned from those two gentlemen is, is this idea of when we want to begin with clarity, you know, as we start to think of a longer term picture, start to think of a bigger vision for your life. So a couple of quick tips I'm going to give you in terms of how do you start to create, pardon me, how do you start to really work with creating this idea of clarity? And what I like to begin with is this, whether you're looking, say, three years out or maybe five years out down in the road, it could be 10. I mean, the time frame's not really what's relevant, but you start to dream a little bit with a great question. If I didn't have to worry about time and money, what would I want my life to look like? And you just start to let it flow. What you're going to find if this is a new exercise for you, and, or maybe you've done it once or twice, but you'll find this is often your mind is going to try and, you know, come up with excuses. Well, that couldn't happen. You know, I don't know if that's possible. And you start to already rationalize in your mind why, why you shouldn't write those down. That is not the purpose of the exercise. If you're going to gain great clarity, if you're going to seek great clarity, we want to kind of like let the cap off your head and just start to dream a bit. Let the ideas start to flow. Really be thinking about things like, Okay, if I didn't have to worry about time and money, where would I be living? That could be one area. Where would you be living? You know, you could think material things. What kind of home would you have? Are you into cars or vehicles? You know, what kind of vehicles would you love to have? Maybe you got a boat, you got a plane that you like to have, you know, lifestyle stuff. What kind of things do you want to be doing? Is it travel things you want to be doing and places that you want to be going? Is it, um, you know, maybe you want to get a massage once a week or once every other week or something like that, or a certain diet that you want to be following, or maybe you have, you know, prepared meals for you all the time, or you love cooking. And so you created this unbelievable custom kitchen, everything that you need, all that kind of stuff. And then the other things, you know, include stuff like your family life. What do you want your family life to look like? 
include things, obviously your business or, you know, your employment, if you work at a job, you know, what would you like your career to look like? Your finances, how much money would you be like to be making? You know, how much money would you like to have saved? What would you want your net worth to be? These are all areas, your spiritual life. What does that look like? Maybe it's going to church for you a certain amount of times, or maybe maybe you're kind of more on the, the, the non-secular side, and perhaps it's you're, you're more into like, I don't know, whatever it might be. Maybe it's meditation for you. It could be hanging out with a certain group. I mean, it could be just connecting with people. It could be connecting with nature, whatever it is, things that are important to you, all the areas that are important in your life. These are things we want to have in a vision. These are things we want to get written down. And so the way I like to begin as I'm doing this is I like to begin first with writing just bullet, bullet form, you know, bullet points. I'm going to jot down a whole bunch of things. So I want to have this, be able to do this, this kind of stuff. Uh, I like to have parts in there about who do I want to become? What kind of leader do I want to be? How do I want to be as a husband? How do I want to be as a father? That kind of stuff. Obviously your health and fitness, everything fitting into there and really working with those ideas um, in the beginning of just running down as many as you can. So bullet points, all that kind of stuff. And again, don't worry about whether it's exactly three years or four years or five years or 10. I mean, it really doesn't matter. What's most important is that you start to dream a bit and you start to think a little bit about what do I want my life to look like? So you get all that down. So say you've, you've gotten all that written down. You've got all your bullet points down here and uh, we've done that. Now, I, what I would challenge you to do, and it's been very beneficial in my own life, is you want to start to turn that into a almost like a, a letter to a friend. So we're going to take all these points and this is a great way to help you get clarity on your vision and to re, you know reprogram your mind with it. You take all those points and you write it out in almost the context, well, not almost, but in the context of if it's already all happened. So let's say as an example, you were working on a three-year vision or a five-year vision. So at the time of this message, it's October, 2020. And um, you know maybe you're thinking, you might be thinking three years out. So maybe you put, you know whether it's October, December, 31st, 2023. So I'd put that in the top right of my page, December 31st, 2023. And I always love beginning with something to the effect of, man, I, I'm so thankful for my life. I'm so grateful for my life. I'm so in love with my life. Things are incredible. Something like that, a really powerful statement about just how amazing life is. And then I start to describe it as if I was describing it to somebody else. And you could be writing almost a letter to yourself that way. Could be to an imaginary friend, doesn't really matter. But you begin with, you know, I'm so happy about my life. I'm so grateful for all the things that have happened. And then you start to describe it, the different areas. You know, it's incredible, the lifestyle that we've built. We're now living here, right? Maybe you got a place in the Okanagan or California or something like that. We've got a home here. You know, we're traveling three months of the year, you know, going to places like boom, 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 boom. Our family life is incredible. You know, I used to have stuff. We have, we have two children. And I used to have stuff when we didn't, but I would have my vision letter about our family, about the kids that we didn't even have yet. I would have that written down. Yeah, I'd have stuff in there about my body and my health and fitness and the kind of exercise program that I'm in and the way that I look and the way that I feel and the kind of things that I eat on a regular basis, all of that written into there. Uh, I'd have things like the home, you know, that we wanted at the time and what that looked like. And, and now, by the way, I still do this stuff. I'm thinking on another level because I'm always in the pursuit of the next level. I'm always in the pursuit of a next level of greatness, next level of success, next level of fulfillment, next level of growth. So now those are things I'm even thinking on a bigger scale, but you put all that in there. And so you'll write it out. You know, generally I find for myself, it's usually at least a page written, sometimes two, sometimes three, depends how much detail you're putting into it. And, and this is something that you want to work with. And so I'll kind of do, I'll do my bullet form, uh, bullet form part of me, the point form stuff really quick. I'll write all those out, all the things I want. I'll start to kind of put them all together. This is lifestyle stuff. So that might be one paragraph. This is kind of like material stuff, the home, the cars, that kind of stuff. That might be a separate one. Family life here, business life here, financial and so spiritual. And I'll have all these different sections in it. And then I'll write out a rough draft of this letter. And then I'll kind of read through it, tweak it, might tweak a word here and there, whatever. And then I'll write out a new one until I get myself a final copy. Usually this whole process maybe takes an hour, two hours, whatever it might be. But it's one of the best processes you could ever entertain is to start to really work with this stuff and start to get a clear idea of where am I going, right? Who, where do I want to go? And I think most, most people that are teaching this stuff talk about the idea of what do you want? And mm -hmm. I mean, any good personal growth book, any book on creating a life you want, everybody talks about that in high mm -hmm. performance habits. The first secret or the first uh, habit of high performers is they constantly seek clarity. And yet mm -hmm. in my experience with working with people and coaching people is that it's the one thing that people don't spend a lot of time on, <laughs> right? 
very, very vague in terms of what, what do we actually want? So mm. I, I know what I would walk someone through, but I, I'm curious on your perspective. When you're telling people, okay, you got to know what you want. What are some of the tips you would give them in terms of articulating that more or working through that a bit? First and foremost, what I'd remind them is what they want isn't actually the thing that they think they want. And so we've got a, a workshop that we do called the Idle Life Blueprint, where we, we help people develop an insanely clear vision of what they want concisely. And one of the key ideas in that is that most people that I find getting stuck with what they want is because they don't resonate with the idea of wanting things or mm -hmm. even wanting places. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, think about this. Someone wants a Ferrari, right? Do they want a Ferrari because they want a Ferrari? Mm. No, they want a Ferrari because number one, they think that other people are going to look up to them if they mm. get a Ferrari. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's a sign that they've made it. So they're looking for esteem, appreciation, respect or recognition from others. Number three, they just love fast cars and they want the exhilaration of driving a fast car. Mm -hmm. Number four, maybe they set themselves a personal target and this leads to being like a, a sign that they've made it. So they want self-feeling, self-fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Maybe they want the feeling of getting laid because some hot young ladies seen them in a Ferrari, right? Sure. The Ferrari is still an avenue to them getting what they actually want. Right. Someone wants a white picket fence house in the, in the countryside. They want it because either they love having their family around or they want somewhere to gather them or they love feeling at peace and being in this place feels at peace or they just love the feeling that they have in the home. Notice all of this leads to a particular feeling or emotional state that mm -hmm. you want at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Someone says they want a lot of money. They don't want money. They want what money can do for them. Mm -hmm. And so even the things that money can do, it's still going to come back to a feeling. So it always comes back to a feeling. So what I will say to people is instead of trying to work out the thing, get super clear on how you want to feel yes. and then release what things need to be built around that. Um, what do you mean by what that? What we're going to do anyway is give you, what we're going to do anyway is going to give you guys a, a resource page with some bits and pieces based on what we speak about. So you're going to see me making a note. And what we'll do is I've got a visualization. It's about 16 minute long Perfect. quantum mirror exercise. Okay. And what that actually does is it, you'll get the languaging. It allows you to meet your future self and mm. have them tell you what feelings they already have. Mm. So instead of you trying to work out the emotions, you can literally meet a version of you that's already having the experience and let them tell you what, what the emotions are. And then you can just focus on creating a life that triggers and elicits those emotions on a regular basis in your environment. And the rest it. of it will take care of itself. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, feeling is the secret as we know, right? And exactly. That, I'm super excited for that exercise. I, I think that's phenomenal. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll send it ahead of time. I'll, I'll make sure I send it Perfect. right away as soon as we hop off for you. Um, send right to them. But we'll pop that on the resource page. I, I, my views have changed a lot, as I'm sure yours has um, over time. But one of the things I've realized more than ever is that uh, I feel like as society, a lot of what people think they want is being told what they should want, you know? versus you know instead of what do they actually want and to your yeah. point behind all of that stuff is there's certain feelings there's certain emotional states that we believe that if i have this thing i'll get that feeling and then mm -hmm. the trap as we both know is that well maybe you do get the thing and you work really hard and you get it and then you get the feeling but then the feeling goes away and now you've got a new desire and then you think well if it's this thing this is why if i had this house and uh, one of the things I love about what you're teaching, Dan, is uh, you're teaching people um, to trigger the feeling first, find, find out what that feeling is anyways. And then we know if we can start to operate on that frequency and those feelings, then we're just going to attract so much great stuff in our life. It's, it's actually the reverse of what we think. If I get the thing, I'll feel that way. That's going to fade. But if we can train ourselves to feel the way we want to feel, life just ends up being this magical journey almost just amazing the things that happen you know some some with really good success and some were full disclosure i mean i fell completely off course and and had to reset them right yeah, yeah. and um but shifting from that what, what kind of tips would you give people in making that shift from the annualized thinking which a lot of people are so conditioned to to really starting to work with this you know not a 12 month year but a 12 week year 
Yeah, the first is it won't be like you you already alluded. It's not like flipping a switch because everything they've done is annualized. And, yeah. and more than likely, their company's still annualized. If they're in sales, the reward programs are annualized. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wouldn't spend a lot of energy trying to change that. You know, yeah. you don't need to. You can still periodize your practice and um, just realize that that it's not going to be like flipping a switch. There's a process to it. There's a mindset shift. There's a there, there's a way to there's a cadence <clears throat> to a 12 week year and a rhythm that you've got to find um, <clears throat> and recognizing that, you know, some 12 week years, you're going to perform better than others. Right. You're going to stumble. It's part of the process. Mm. Um but if you apply the system, you get better. And so really recognizing that, I think the first thing people have to come to grips with is it's not enough to know. You've got to execute. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because we keep chasing new ideas and there's nothing wrong with new ideas. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I read a ton of books, but, but I'm always reading them with an eye towards how I can apply it. Mm. Because if I read it and I don't apply it, it's wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the 12 week year is, uh, you know, the emphasis is all on implementation. So that's a different mindset too, right? Instead of going out <clears throat> and increasing my potential, let's tap the current potential I have. Right. Let's tap the capacity that currently exists and, and do that more consistently and just see what happens. Um, but there is a rhythm to it that when you start, it'll be a little weird, but you want to, you literally want to treat every 12 weeks as a year. And, and so for your listeners, that doesn't mean that we're going to try and take everything we were doing 12 months and cram it into 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, you're, you're going to really pare it down and focus on a few things, um, but just be relentless with those. Mm. And, and 12 weeks is a long enough time that, man, you can make profound progress, but there's a healthy sense of urgency in that, right? You, you recognize, hey, I can't put things off. You're mm-hmm. still going to have a tendency to do that because in an annual environment, you, you thought you could do that, but it's, it's no different. It's just, it's more evident in a 12 week year than it is an annual environment that look that that doesn't work. It's not going to get you where you want to go. Yeah. Uh, so just being mindful of the fact that, you know, the more you embrace that 12 weeks as the year, yeah. the greater impact it's going to have on your actions, the greater impact it's going to have on your results. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And I, I think that's really what makes the 12 week year different than, you know, anything else in the marketplace when it comes to goal setting is, is that it really is. It's, I think a lot of the books and, and I've learned a lot from them. It's not to knock the other, you know, other resources. There's some amazing stuff in there. Um, it's an execution system. It's an implementation system. It's how do you turn an idea into reality? How do you start to really take these things that I want and put them into a real actionable plan, which, you know, as you've talked about, and I know the book talks a lot about too, is where people fail is it's not usually the plan, right? right? It's, it's the execution, right? Yeah, probably 90% of the time it's the execution. But people, what do they do? They change the plan, right? Yeah. And then you get in this habit of constantly changing the plan and updating it, thinking that that's going to be the difference maker um, instead of just figuring out how, you, how to do the heavy lifting, <laughs> how to get yourself to do what matters most and do it day in and do it day out. Exactly, exactly. And, and can, we, can we talk about that? Can we talk about kind of a, a bigger macro view of, the, I, I know them because I've been through it lots, but the disciplines of the five disciplines of the 12 week year. Sure. Yeah. There, there, there really are been the fundamentals, high performance. It's not like Michael and I created these things. Mm-hmm. We just packaged them. Um, mm-hmm. But it starts with vision, right? Having a compelling why mm. some people skip that step thinking it's fluff when it's the cornerstone of all high performance, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that's the uh, motivation where the, where you're connected emotionally to some future that's bigger than the present. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to do what we've done. Mm-hmm. And um, so that that's critical. And and then we build a plan. But as you've already alluded, 12-week planning is very different than traditional planning. It's more focused. Um, it's more tactical. It's more granular. It mm-hmm. literally spells out everything you need to do in 12 weeks. And it's not it's not everything you can think of. Again, it's the the critical few, the least number of things that that it takes to accomplish the goals. So again, it's all about this focus where you're not spread over a, a, a ton of tasks, which results in diffusion and overwhelm and, and stagnation, right? What we want to do is we want to build some momentum, build some confidence, start to feel that rhythm and, and work on the things that, that really matter. Mm-hmm. And then there's process that we insert. So we've got this compelling vision. We've got a We've got a really tactical, granular plan. 
um, still not enough, right? We've got to we've got to execute that daily. So that's where process control comes in. Tools and events that we insert into the environment so that you're not just relying on personal discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the scorekeeping aspect, the measurement, right? Tracking the lead and lags, but as you know, most importantly, measuring your execution. Yes. And I say most importantly because we don't control the outcomes. The goals right. are the outcomes. What we control are the actions. And so yeah. we're going to track the outcomes. We're going to literally score our executions. I love it. it. It's so fascinating how often out of our own personal pain comes beautiful work that we can then share with uh, with the rest of the world too. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting. You said uh, joy has been a strategy. And then, of course, you went through uh, your addiction and depression and all of that stuff at those times. And then joy came out of that again of, all right, it's time to step into more of who I am. You know, it's funny in the business world, that's the world that I'm in. I mean, you don't hear too much about people saying joy is a strategy, mm-hmm. you know? So talk to us yeah. a little bit about that. Cause I, I love it. I mean, my life has completely changed when I started to incorporate, I wouldn't have used those words joy as a strategy, but that's ultimately what some of the things I've been doing. So tell us about it. Yeah, I love it. We are so aligned. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I firmly believe that joy is an inside job. And I also work with a lot of business owners who, um, are doing amazing things in the world and by all means would seem like they are experiencing success and are just not actually happy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's when you are externalizing that your happiness or your peace or your joy um, so that everything around you needs to be okay in order for you to feel okay. Or, you know, everything around me needs to feel like what my de- definition of, or look like what my definition of success looks like. But if it's not feeling the way you want it to feel, then it's not really true success, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, when I kind of started on my path, like really started to feel the feelings, which I could talk for about 10 days around, mm-hmm. um, but I won't. I'll be as uh, as as short-winded as I possibly can around it. But I feel like when I started to feel my feelings, it was really this journey of like, you know, who am I and, and um, how do I use my feelings as a compass? Um, and I think in our world, especially in business, it's like, it's about performance. It's about like optics. It's about money. It's about all of, yeah. again, these things outside of us. Correct. Um, when really, when you get down to it, like our feelings are, are here to guide us. And if we're not in touch with them, if we don't have the ability to feel them and not just the good ones, but all of them, then we're missing out on a key component of joy, which I feel is that alignment piece, you know? So yeah, the business, the people I work with are like, it's like we're either building their business with joy or we're building joy back into their business and lives. And I feel like there's no longer that boundary between life and business anymore. Like that to me is like, so 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. funny because if you look at, we're probably similar in age, but if you look at a lot of our parents, I mean, there was not a lot talk about feeling your feelings, expressing your feelings. It was more of varying and certainly their parents would have been similar like that too. And yes. there's certainly the world is opening up more to this idea of it. Yet, I think there's still often there can be a lot of stigma, for lack of a better term, yes. around it. And I no doubt in my mind, anybody watching this right now, anybody listening to this right now, if they're honest, they'd think, yeah, I would like more joy in my life. You mm-hmm. know, I would yeah, I would love yeah. to have that. They think they want more money. They think they, you know, we want the body. We want the relationship. We want the car. We want but the yeah. truth is, as as you, it's the feeling is mm-hmm. what we're really seeking. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about, okay, I want more joy. That sounds like yeah. a good strategy. What are some things I can start doing? Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, actually created what I call the joy method. And for me, it's just, I, I, I think a lot of in terms of strategy. And so I call it soulful strategy because it's like how to use the mind as a tool instead of a weapon. <laughs> Mm. against ourselves which is so easy to do so it's really using um first starting with the feelings so beginning to develop a relationship with yourself where you're able to feel all of the feelings and not just the good ones like joy seems like this bright exuberant shiny experience but it can actually be a very deep deep level experience you know and for anyone who's gone through contrast or the things that i would say you would never choose in your life um you might have had the experience of of walking a path of grief and joy at the same time. You know, when you lose a loved one, but you've, you're steeped in memories or you're you're really, really in that place that is very, feels very divinely spiritual. 
mm. or connected or otherworldly or those kinds of moments. So, um, so I feel like being able to honor our feelings, all of them, give room to all of them, start to use them as a compass, start to get curious about them, um, rather than maybe resisting them or mm-hmm. hanging on to them. Mm-hmm. Beautiful book by Jill Bolt Taylor, who is a neuroscientist, and she had a stroke and studied her own stroke. Hmm. Um, and she studied her own recovery, and she found that a feeling only lasts 90 seconds. And uh, this, honest to God, was how I was able to be sober. Wow. <laughs> because if it wasn't for that, I was so overwhelmed with my feel, like with the feelings that I'd never owned or felt. Like it was really, really. Um, just wild like how how painful that was actually to be like oh my god how do you do this like even the joy I feel like I was numbing that and um, Brene Brown talks a lot in her vulnerability talks around like how you can't selectively numb so Mm. by numbing pain I was also numbing joy and gratitude in the higher vibrational frequencies (laughs) so when I got sober even the like all of the joy was actually overwhelming like the joy the gratitude the, the gratitude to be alive and um and reconnecting with myself and others in my life again so again these are all loaded questions but i would say so coming back home to yourself and and that looks different for everyone but i feel like um i feel like joy is actually a habit it's a practice Mm. so i even talk a lot about ritual which to me sounds maybe wooey to some of your listeners maybe maybe not (laughs) but it's it's really just a practice like what are you doing every day to connect more deeply to yourself what are you doing every day to honor your feelings? Um, in the joy method, it's the feelings and then the thoughts. And as you know, like our thoughts are so, so, so powerful. That is expanding energy in the world and in our experiences. And so if we're just going about our lives willy nilly, we could very well be expanding things we don't want to have happen. So it's understanding that about the mind and really using the focus as a magic wand and consistently asking the self, like, what do I want to have happen instead of focusing on all the things that suck or mm-hmm. aren't going well. Um, and so there's that. And then there's really setting intentions. So being intention, intentional, when we understand the mind is a tool, that's a powerful tool, then we can start to use it to pave, I call it like paving a pathway for ourselves, paving mm-hmm. a pathway forward um, toward what we want to have happen. Mm-hmm. Then it's all around like inspired action. Mm-hmm. I feel like law of attraction. I love you love. Mm-hmm. We're like, we get it. We love mm-hmm. it. But when I first started doing joy sessions, it was very steeped in law of attraction. And what I found was missing was the action bit. Like people, I was having these little joy sessions in my living room and having 10 people over at lunchtime and they would leave and I'd be like, something feels incomplete, you know, like mm-hmm. if something's kind of missing. And then I um, was just kind of feeling into like, what is this action? What's going on here? What is my intention with these, with these people, with myself in this lifetime? And it was like, there's momentum missing. There's like commitment missing. There was, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I brought in some psychology. I studied psychology previously and, and brought in some CBT, like around um, the thoughts and the behaviors and the actions, the thoughts, feelings and actions all being interrelated and how we can actually shift things so profoundly by whether it's with the feelings or the thoughts or the behaviors. So it's like taking accountability for our lives as deliberate designers of our lives being willing to take action to like almost move the needle. Like, you know, in business we are moving the needle. And when Mm -hmm. you focus on how can I move the needle, that's where you get some real traction. You have your roots of the tree and those are your values, your, your core beliefs and all that. So those are like, that's the roots of your brand. And then at the start, you're just building out the trunk. So like you're not worried about branches and shit like that. You just need to build out your formation, Mm -hmm. your trunk, and that's what you get very specific about is like writing. You're, you're known as the the sales guy or the yeah. email marketing guy, or copywriting guy, whatever. Yeah. So you're yeah. just building your trunk. You're building your base here and yeah. you're growing your following. You're getting that base following. And then as you grow bigger and bigger, that's when you branch off to more broad things. Okay. So, for example, Dan Coe, he started with web design, talking about web design. Right. And that's how he grew. And then he branched off to different stuff. Now he's talking about whatever, philosophy. Yeah, spirituality. Holism, I like his Yeah, spirituality. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same with me. I started with writing, and now I talk about – I still talk about writing, but I talk about other things as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. It's a common theme you'll see is, like, everyone – they start micro and then go macro. Yeah. And a lot of people, they want to start macro because they see yeah. the big accounts doing That's that. Right. 
Yeah. And they, they're struggling to grow. And like, I don't know why as well. It's because you didn't see what they did before that. You got to, you got to give value to become yeah. valued. Yeah. And a lot of people, they just haven't given that value and yeah. people don't care what they say because of that. So if uh, an account starting out says drink water, they're okay, whatever. People are not going to care. Mm-hmm. If Naval Ravikant tweeted drink water, James Clear said drink water, people are like, oh my God, yes, mm-hmm. that's the secret yeah. and all that. Yeah, it's because yeah. they, they built up that competence and show that they know what they're talking about. That's right. And now they earn that right to talk about whatever they want. So that's a big uh big thing a lot of people don't realize that's huge i mean that way what you just told us and told everybody there that alone was incredibly valuable just right there to start with that thing so questions for you just i'm thinking of various people and different things so is fitness so let's say fitness is my thing it's not my personal one but let's say it was that's what i wanted to brand myself is that too broad of a subject then or that can be my trunk i think that could be your trunk yeah okay it's uh I think when it comes to the offer, I think that's when you depends what market you're in. But yeah. say if you're a fitness coach, yeah, you can talk about post about uh, social media or post social media posts about uh, fitness and how to improve in different areas. But if you have an offer, it's like, oh, I'll get you fit. You know, how many fitness coaches are out there. It's crazy. Like it's mm. nuts. So you're gonna have to find a way to maybe niche down a bit with your offer or or do some unique things. At least in the beginning, because mm-hmm. dude, when you're you're a big account, uh, people you could put out a broad offer, offer that's not too crazy, and people just buy it because it's you. They've, that's right. They know, yeah. like, and trust you. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, in the beginning, I I would say probably niche down or find some kind of USP to right. uh to separate yourself. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So fitness, finances, like you say, copywriting, something like that. But you pick something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Um. And then what about uh, tips for engagement? Like, how would you say if they're saying, okay, well, I'm maybe I'm doing that, right? They're, they've got some micro content that they're putting out there. How, how do you recommend increasing engagement? Yeah, so it depends what platform you're on. Um, Let, but let's, like, use in, let's use Instagram. You've got a great Instagram. Instagram, okay. Yeah. Instagram. So Instagram, this is the way I've, experience Instagram what's worked for me but reels are for getting new people into your audience because the I, I look at the analytics and the reach for like new new people is actually crazy mm. and those those reels can pop off quite a bit mm-hmm. um use carousels to nurture your audience so uh mm. your car- carousels or or image posts will show to your existing existing audience and not so much a new audience typically. Yeah. Um, so you want to use that content to like talk about your story or, or show authority by giving actual advice, stuff like that. Um, and then your stories are more kind of like, those are only your, your biggest fans will watch your stories. Cause it's like mm. sitting through and, and watching your life. So, uh, document, I don't know, funny things that happen or what's, what you're doing. Like I, I posted a story about me eating beef liver, uh, yesterday, last night. And it's just like, give them a nice. glimpse into your life. Yeah. And there's a few core principles behind, uh, the types of content you should post. So I, I have this thing called the gap framework. So the G is for growth content. So that's your like basic content that just, uh, Maybe it could be motivational stuff or or whatever, just the basic level stuff that's nothing too crazy, but it's basically just to get your get you out there and like top of mind because that content's really easy to write. Yeah. Uh, so there's something called the familiarity bias in psychology, I believe, mm-hmm. and it's like the more you see something or hear something, the more you like it. Yeah. So I think that's about right. the same thing with social yeah. media. Yeah. Um, like the pop song you hear, like you hate it at first, then you start totally. singing along after yeah. a week. So yeah. it's like that, I think, with the social media content, the more you could be, like, top of mind and showing up in people's views, like, oh, okay, it's that guy. I like that guy. Right. Um, so there's the growth side of stuff. And then there's the authority-based content. So that's the stuff like actionable advice, and you're showing people how to do stuff or mm. take them from pain point to desire. You are the bridge. And just showing that you know your shit, that you're the the writing guy or the the copywriting guy or the sales guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, just showing your competence or social proof. And that's going to that's gonna build your authority. And so when someone has a problem, like, oh, I want to 
I want to be a ghostwriter. I don't know how. Oh, wait, there's that ghostwriter guy that has a, uh, an offer. I'm going to go to that guy because he's mm. shown his competence. He showed he knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. So that's the authority, and you use that to get sales. Um, and then there's the personal side, and I think this is where a lot of people screw up, is they don't show their story, and they don't show their worldview or opinions. They're just neutral. They just mm-hmm. maybe they just give authority content or whatever. And I think a lot of people screw this up because at the end of the day, people want to connect with people. It's social media. And when they when someone connects with someone or they relate with their story or their worldview or whatever, mm-hmm. then that's very powerful. We're here because you want to change. And I want to share this message with you. I'm going to share it with you till the day that I die. If you want to change your life, you need to learn to reprogram your mind. You have to get into the operating system of your mind. You've got a conscious mind and you've got a subconscious mind. Change does not happen in in the conscious mind. It happens by changing the subconscious mind. We use the conscious mind to get access into the subconscious to reprogram it. And that's how we create lasting change. All of who you are is stored in your subconscious mind. So you got to keep that in mind. 95% of who you are is habit. 95% of who you are is habitual. It's automatic. The way you're thinking, the way you're feeling, the way you're acting, it's a habitual process. What you're attracting, the vibration you're in, it's habitual. The majority of who you are is habit, unconscious, stored in the subconscious mind. So if you want to change your life, then you've got to get into the subconscious mind. You've got to reset the programming. You know, Uh, Years and years ago, many great teachers have used it, but the analogy of a thermostat and a thermostat being your set point in your life. And it is a good analogy to use because your subconscious mind has blueprints, financial blueprints, uh, health blueprints, wealth blueprints, success blueprints, relationship blueprints, all of these things or thermostats or set points that it's programmed for. And if the blueprint is laid out for a certain level of success in your relationship, or the blueprint is laid out for a certain level of success in your body or your business or your income or whatever it might be, and you don't alter the blueprint, nothing changes. If you don't change the thermostat set point, nothing changes. I live in Canada, so we measure everything in Celsius. I know some of you guys are Americans who use Fahrenheit, and uh, a lot of you, uh, the rest of the world, I think we all use Celsius, but (laughs) nonetheless, we like to keep our home at 20.5 degrees Celsius, which I think is somewhere around 70-ish Fahrenheit, somewhere around there. Anyways, we like to keep it. And so we keep it, and we've got, of course, a furnace. It gets very cold where we live, so you definitely need a furnace if you're going to survive the winters here. We've got air conditioners, which you don't need here, but it's nice to have them for about you know three weeks a year when it gets too hot. And the way the thermostat works, we keep it at 20.5. So if the temperature outside starts to drop the temperature in the home, Below that, well, guess what? It turns the furnace on. I can hear the furnace right now in my house. It's going because it's quite cold. It's like minus 30 outside right now at the time of this recording. So the furnace is on to keep the house and make sure it stays at 20.5. But in the summertime when it gets too hot and the house starts to heat up to 21 to 22, the air conditioner kicks on to bring it back to 20.5. That's just like your life. This is your subconscious mind. This is your cybernetic mechanism as Maxwell Maltz put it in his great book, Psycho-Cybernetics. It's the mechanism that regulates your level of success in any of the important areas of your life. It's the thermostat set point. So you use your income, your financial success. You've got a set point of what you're set at. If you don't alter the set point, what happens is you start to get a little bit better results for a period of time, but then you unconsciously sabotage yourself to bring you back to the 20.5 degree set point. Or the opposite, if life starts going out as good as you want and things aren't happening, your income goes down as an example, you lose a job for a bit, something like that, and it gets bad for a while, something happens, you unconsciously turn the heaters on in your life and you start to get a bit more focus, you start to find a new opportunity, new resource, whatever it might be, put a little bit more effort in and you bring yourself back to that equilibrium, that set point. All of this is happening primarily on an unconscious level. Now, the good news is, is when you're listening to this, this might not even be the first time you've heard it. You might think, yeah, I'm very aware of that. Well, the good news is this, is that you can change the set point. You can alter the set point of where you're at. And if you learn to alter your set point, if you learn to program a new set point, your success becomes a new level of unconscious success. So then the question, of course, is, well, what do I actually do? 
to work with that? Well, I mean, you can look this up pretty easily on Google and find a whole bunch of different methods. You could do stuff like hypnotherapy. You can use visualization. You can use scripting. You can use studying the same material over and over. You can use affirmations or as Tony Robbins calls them, incantations or as Harvecker calls them, declarations. I mean, you could do that. You could use guided meditation. You could use guided uh, subliminal programming. You could use writing in a journal. You could use, uh, man, I mean, there's so many different things. There's on and on and on. There's so many modalities, so many methods you could use. You want to figure out what works well for you. I am a massive fan of meditation and visualization. I'm a massive fan of journaling your future, huge fan of that. I've done hypnotherapy multiple times, um, I'm, I'm, and I, it may have worked, I'm not sure, but I'm a fan of it. I don't do it too regularly, but I like to build into my meditations, even as I'm building custom meditations for some of my clients or some of the ones that I'll do um, for my seminar company, I'll build some hypnosis stuff that I've learned into there because there's a lot of value in it. So I'm a fan of many different methods, right? There's so many different things. I'm a fan of starting to think about, you know, what do I want to believe and then to write those beliefs out over and over. I'm a fan of that. I mean, there's so many things you can do. Those are just a quick flavor of some that you could do. And I'm not going to dive into all the details today of every single one of those, but I want to encourage you that if you want to change your life to really start to get serious about your mental conditioning routine, your programming routine. It's kind of interesting in the modern science of consciousness studies, you basically have a lot of scientists who study consciousness and they realize what's going on here and how extraordinary it is. They're not trying to explain it away or dismiss it. The people who don't really study the evidence, uh, the sci scientists in that field, are the ones saying, well, it's impossible by our theoretical models. Mm. So it can't be true. Mm. Well, guess what? That just means your theoretical models are far too weak to even be tossing around. So drop them. Start working on something that does work. And in fact, there are uh, theoretical bases that are arising in, in modern philosophy of mind and neuroscience, uh, quantum physics, uh, that do put all this together and do take it to the next level. It's what we um, did in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. We painted uh, the, the objective idealism as an answer that works very well, where you look at the primacy of consciousness uh, and how it could be influencing all of the emergent universe. And that really flips the coin on materialist science because a lot of materialist uh, neuroscientists would try and tell you we don't even have free will. Mm. Uh, they think consciousness is the epiphenomenon of uh, all the uh, uh, chemical reactions and electron fluxes in the brain, but they would tell you pay it no mind because consciousness isn't even, uh, isn't even real. That's, they go so far as to say that. Whereas, in fact, the flip side is the only thing anybody's ever experienced is the inside of their own consciousness. So if we cannot explain that, we're really not explaining anything about the nature of reality. Uh, and that's where I think uh, this revolution is so important because uh, it really opens us up to a much fresher way of looking at things and one where our free will actually is very much alive and well. And I think uh, to even be putting out there that we don't have free will uh, you know, a la the uh, materialist neuroscientists who are very strict observers of materialism and physicalism uh, is extremely dangerous uh, because it, it kind of lets us believe we're off the hook for any choices we make in life. And I'd say, in fact, one of the deepest lessons of near-death experiences and of this uh, kind of expansion of the science of consciousness is we are very responsible for our choices. Uh, we play a tremendous role in how this world evolves, you know, the kind of History and destiny of humankind, uh, I believe, is written with a free will of the participants and not just some random, chaotic, uh, mechanistic, mechanistic uh, flux that some of the materialist neuroscientists would claim it is, but something that really has meaning and purpose uh, underlying all that's happening there. And I think that's where uh, this new worldview can really help us take responsibility for our choices. And in many ways, that allows us uh, to much more robustly define our emerging reality. Mm, yeah, so good. It uh, everybody. By the way, for uh, if you want a real deep dive into what we're talking about, I, I know I talked about uh, Evan's original book, Proof of Heaven, but living in a mindful universe is phenomenal because the whole first section of it is really, I love it because it's a lot. It's a lot of history of what we understand of consciousness and the, the different avenues of it, and so much of there where you've got that whole section on quantum physics and. And it's amazing. And even going back to, I look at some of Einstein's 
what he's talked about, where as the, the deeper he dove into this, the more he, I don't remember the exact quote, but he, the only thing he could come to was in the belief of God or unified field. Right. Right. Well, it's, I think uh, Einstein um, would have a a fairly different view. Now he passed over in April of 1955. mm -hmm. uh, And uh, immediately thereafter, he could have given us a much richer version of a unified field theory. Uh, maybe we can get it from the afterlife. You know, maybe someone can harvest that from Einstein. Yeah. Could happen. Those kind of things do occur. That's right. That's right. I question for you. Let, let's say someone's listening to this. This is all completely foreign to them. Never heard any of these ideas whatsoever. We've talked a lot about consciousness as a whole. And I think most people are at least somewhat familiar. But if, if you could give them, a, I guess, a, 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 in the best way we can, a simple definition of what is consciousness, how would you go about explaining that? Absolutely. That's a great question. And I would say it, it's very simple. It's nothing complex. Consciousness is just our awareness uh, as a being that we exist. You know, as Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Well, I would modify that very slightly and just say, I think, and because I'm aware of those thoughts, I am. Uh, and in fact, that it, it actually brings up a very interesting kind of differential here, because often when Karen and I give workshops on all of this, we talk about that linguistic brain, the little ego voice mm-hmm. that lives inside our left temporal lobe. You know, that's why we call it the dominant hemisphere, uh, uh, you know, is because that's where language lives. Uh, and our language kind of defines itself as this major player. But the our linguistic voice and that kind of sense of running stream of thoughts in our head, uh, it's about that much brain trying to tell you uh, that it really runs the show. And it turns out the first step I do in meditation is I la- allow that linguistic voice to make a statement, a request, you know, a question, what have you. But then that voice goes into time out. And, you know, in our modern world, we're so used to the idea of using that little voice, that linguistic brain and rag- rational logical thinking, et cetera, to can take us to uh, a deeper understanding. But what I'm telling you now is that ego voice, because it, it's deeply tied with your e- ego. In fact, your ego pretty much runs that little voice in your head. Um, and so it's very important to realize your conscious awareness is not that voice. The conscious awareness, though, is the deep magic and mystery of consciousness. I'm actually quite interested because often when you've come from a heavy science background, um, you know, a lot of what you do, of course, is research data and everything, right? I want to see the facts. And, and often people think that if I'm very scientific, that it can almost be antagonistic to spirituality. Yes. And what I love just even in the brief interaction about it is that that's not the way you're looking at it. And so I, I want to hear your perspective of how does that merge your two worlds together? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very vocal. Kind of one of my little catchphrases. It's not spirit or science. Mm. It's both. Mm. Um, you know, I firmly believe whether you call it vibes, energies, frequencies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely think there is some other layer of connectivity that we can't quantify yet. Mm-hmm. I, we, I, I don't even know how many decades or lifetimes or centuries it'll be till we could quantify these mm. things but once you get more in tune with yourself um you can be more sensitive to things and sensitive to people's you know it's been proven that your heart generates an electromagnetic field that extends four to five feet further from your body this has been mm-hmm. demonstrated in the heart institute yeah so we know that there are energetic fields around us um and a lot of these things that like mindfulness and breath work and meditation these all literally turn on a gene called the BDNF gene that's literally like fertilizer for your brain cells. So it literally helps you grow brain cells. And they meditation studies. Does. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's basically meditation is almost voluntarily voluntary control of gene expression, which is really wild when you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. They've done studies on the brain structures of monks that have meditated for decades. And literally their frontal lobe, hippocampus can literally be enlarged due to practicing that mindfulness. Um, I do think that having a connection with, um, I like calling it, it, whatever it is, whether it's, mm-hmm. um, whether it's religion, whether it's mm-hmm. just more open-ended spirituality, mm-hmm. even if it's the connection with yourself, I think having faith and belief in something, I'm not here to tell you guys what you should believe in, but I do think having belief in 
something something else, something bigger is very motivating. It can help you feel aligned. I think people that are really in, I grew up, uh, not super religious, but you did Sunday school and stuff. I remember being a kid, you know, hearing, um, the priest talk and you would get that kind of feeling of like a little bit like a euphoria feeling hearing people preach. Mm. And honestly, now that I'm getting more into the personal development space, mm-hmm. you know, I feel that when I hear good speakers talk as well, like you feel sure. that buzz. For sure. Um, I think these are all interconnected because you're connecting to what I just call it right now. Um, mm-hmm. Not the sexiest name, but, you know, placeholder for now. Yeah. Um, and I do think that plugging into that is very important for helping turn on good genes and turn off bad ones. They've done studies that um, people that were atheists that became religious and practiced their faith had lower risk. I believe it was depression. Mm. Um, I don't want to misspeak. I think it was another inflammatory condition um, because they have this belief in something bigger, higher. Um, and I do think that can kind of like Joe Dispenza work, you know, the belief mm-hmm. in these things, the belief that you can change mm-hmm actually helps your cells work better if you yeah. believe it like matt if you're trying to manifest something mm-hmm. and you believe in it fully i believe your cells turn on genes that make you more motivated mm-hmm. less inflamed mm-hmm. and you're able to do more work more mm-hmm. higher quality work for longer periods of time because mm-hmm. you're inspired mm-hmm. so part of manifestation is your belief makes your cells work better mm-hmm. so you can work harder towards the goal Mm-hmm. The other half is, you know, and this is what we can't really prove at all currently, the mm-hmm. universe kind of throwing a bone your way because you've been, been believing in yourself. You know, you can't really quantify. Like I went, uh, I told you before this, uh, I went viral on Facebook from one to 45,000 followers last weekend. Mm-hmm. And literally the past week or two, I've been giving myself a lot more grace and just, you know, I'm trying to build this huge thing and revolutionize healthcare and all these things. But like, it's a journey and giving myself more grace to, be a little imperfect and, you know, you want to enjoy the journey of life as well. So still working very hard, but not beating myself up so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't prove they're connected, but, you know, I finally gave myself grace and a week or so later I go viral like I never have before, which is just to <laughs> me, it's like, is it a coincidence? Would I just more relax? So I made better content that went viral. Right. Was it the universe throwing me a bone, you know, and this is why, I don't doubt anything at this point. Like if there's no yeah. data on something at this point, yeah. I don't doubt anything at face value. I'm like, sure. I don't know. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's being open-minded like that is a good way to look at things. Cause that avoids going down the paths of, you know, hate and judgment and bringing mm-hmm. up these negative emotions, which mm-hmm. turn on the bad genes. Mm-hmm. The six levels basically in a nutshell are everywhere from 13 hours up to 72 hours. And the longer you fast, the more what happens is you turn on, I like to think of it like healing switches. So I'll just run through them very briefly at like 13 to 15 hours, you start to make all those metabolic changes we talked about. You bring cholesterol down, insulin, glucose, and your body will create something called ketones. Right. And so, and that's a, that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. Uh, at 17 hours, you start to stimulate autophagy. So the cells start to repair and make themselves stronger. At 24 hours of fasting, you stimulate intestinal stem cells. So you start to repair any damage to your mucosal lining of your gut. Hmm. At 36 hours, you actually force your body to really go find stored glucose So if you have any liver, fatty liver, if you're really weight loss resistant, you want to throw in a couple, you know, every couple of months, a 36 hour fast at 48 hours of fasting, your dopamine receptor sites will all completely uh, reboot themselves and you create new dopamine receptors. So you actually, your uh, perception of happiness will be greater. And then at 72 hours of fasting, this is Walter Longo's famous study, you reboot your whole immune system and old white blood cells that aren't working for you anymore get recycled and new ones come in. So you, you want to cycle, you want to train yourself to go through those six different levels. No kidding. Wow. Um, I was taking tons of notes as you were talking there. That's yeah, pretty amazing. fun, right? I mean, so fascinating. This is the, the thing that I like geek out on. Yeah. This, this is all free. Yeah. It's, oh it's, man. It's yeah. in you. Yeah. It's in you. Yeah. It's, yeah. So you just have to train your body to do it. Yeah. And all of those things I just talked about, we've been trying to find pills for totally. and we can't, totally. you know, so yeah. it's crazy how, once you learn how to do this, your life changes. Yeah. It's, it's so amazing. Um, 
So at 48 hours, dopamine receptor sites reboot themselves. Kind of like clean yeah. slate almost in a way, yeah? Yes. So if you think about dopamine receptor sites get saturated from too much dopamine. Yeah. So, and we're getting dopamine, not, I mean, not only from food, we're getting right. it from social media, Big from, yeah. you know, so many things. So it's a little bit like insulin resistant where the, where the receptors that allow dopamine to come into the cell, they get flooded with dopamine and they can't, they, they become inefficient hmm. at bringing dopamine into the cell. What that looks like to you is um, you're just not happy as much. Um, so, you know, I hear a lot, especially with women, I'll hear a lot of women say, you know, everything in my life is amazing um, and I'm just not joyful. Okay. Mm. That's when it's like, okay, we got to throw a 48 hour fast in here and reboot mm. those dopamine receptors. So you can get joy from just the, the little things. Mm. The other research that we've seen on the dopamine is that overeaters tend to be more dopamine resistant okay. because they're using food for their dopamine uh, reward. And when you go into a 48 hour fast, the biggest thing I see from uh, both men and women is that you just enjoy food so differently. Hmm. So how many times have we eaten food and just like eaten it and moved on, didn't really think about how enjoyable it was. Um, or if you, if you struggle with food addiction or overeating, you go into a place where you are like, um, nothing seems to satisfy you. Nothing gives you that dopamine rush. Right. So we can reset the whole dopamine uh, reward system. And one of the things that it does is it creates new dopamine receptors. Hmm. So not only do you repair the ones that are there, but you create new ones, which makes you even more joyful and, and have more of a dopamine hit when you eat something as simple as an apple. I want to hear you talk about this idea because I, I love one of my favorite chapters in the book is where you talk about the five levels of mental toughness and moving from competing to creating. And I think it's just such, such a, a beautiful concept. Can you expand a bit on that idea for everyone? Yeah, basically. So we took it sort of over like a, after like a, an Abraham Maslow kind of hierarchy, you know, kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So basically it just starts out with, you know, people playing, playing not to lose, which is what most people do. They do it in sports, you know, in sports, that's a very common phrase saying you're, you're playing not to lose. You're trying to protect your, yourself. You're trying to call it close, but you're not really trying to win. You're not taking enough risks to try to win. And I think that, you know, most people in society, whether it's Canada or the U.S. or anywhere in the free world, you know, people are kind of trained and programmed in school and by parents. And, you know, they're, they're trying to protect us. I mean, from from pain, obviously. But mm -hmm. we're playing not to lose. We're trying to play defense all the time and not suffer too much pain. And that's the goal of our life. So the old joke is, you know, uh, you get to heaven and St. Peter says, congratulations, you've arrived safely at death. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, wow, I made it, you know, this is fantastic. And so I, then it goes all the way up to, to really playing, there's different levels, but playing to compete, yeah. you know, is, is one of the ones, what, what I found is a lot of people think that's the highest level. And yeah. most psychologists, performance psychologists disagree and say competing competition is not the highest level because it's ego-based, especially in business. Right. Because what you do in your business is completely do what I what differently than what I do, even if we're in the same business, just because you approach it a different way, mm -hmm. you might have way more talent than me, way more education, you might be just smarter than me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've got whatever I've got. So it's really not even a level playing field in terms of competitiveness. And, um, and so competition is almost a, just an ego trip. You know, mm -hmm. just for people to say, well, I'm better than you because I scored higher, or I made more money or I, you know, live in a bigger house or a small, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And, um, and it's kind of it's kind of lower level. So they say the highest level in performance performance psychology is playing to 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 create where mm -hmm. you say, you know, Ben, I'm, I whatever you have, man, I'm, I just wish the best for you. And I wish the best for me and everybody else. I'm just trying to use what I have, whatever resources I have, whatever education, intelligence, et cetera, to create what I can create. And you might be way better, smarter, whatever. And I, I'm glad for you about that. But here's what I can do. So I'm just kind of in a business by myself where I'm trying to create my own future and, uh, and, and, uh, and do what I'm capable of doing. Even if it's not anywhere near what you're capable of doing, this is the best I can do. And I'm creating mm -hmm. my own future instead of competing with you and everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's so great because I, I know I had a, a season in my life where competition was a big part of it. And then realizing, and it was a lot through studying your work, but just realizing, well, why does it matter what somebody else is doing or not doing? How does that actually affect my life in any way? 
And it's, it's such an interesting concept. I, I, I want to hear your thoughts. I don't know the answer to this. Do you find most people have to kind of grow and evolve to that level? Do they go through the different stages do you find, or can you just jump to that highest level of thought? I think you can. I don't think most of us do. I think because we're so, uh, you know, especially the, the States is a funny place, you know, just traveling around the world for so long, you know, for so many years. You know, I find that even Canada, even though as close as we are, and, and, you know, in so many ways, we're so close. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, physically close as well, you know, um, logistically. But mm-hmm. I, I think the U.S. is, is a little, is, is sort of an anomaly in terms of we're so competitive and we're so, uh, you know, success you know, all around the world, not so much in Canada, but all over the world, they call us, you know, you're success crazy. You know, the U.S. is success crazy. And mm-hmm. I think there's probably some validity to that. You mm-hmm. know, I, even in Canada, even when I work in Canada and I do book signings and stuff, I find that the, the society is, is quite different. I think you guys are more like, in my opinion, um, like the U.K., you know, more low key. You guys are less ego driven. This is just my opinion, but right. less ego driven. Of course, I'm stereotyping, but I think there's some validity to it where we we we've got this thing about, well, we're the greatest country in the world and we're this and we're that. Well, yeah, maybe in some ways we, we, we are, you know, we're a very strong country in some ways. In other ways, we're not a strong country. We, we, we suck in some ways. And Canada is a better country in some ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the UK and all different kind of, you know, free world countries. But, um, but I think that at the end of the day, I think that if you, if you come from not ego, but from a spirit-based consciousness, mm-hmm. not like in the context of religion, although mm-hmm. that if, we, if people are religious, they could, they could connect it. But just spirit in the sense of you're coming from your own human spirit and you're mm-hmm. saying, you know, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to wish you the best and I'm going to do the best I can. I hope for the, the best for everybody, but I'm not really in a competition with you. I'm mm-hmm. in a competition really with me just to see if I can be better today than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think most people reach it. But yes, I to your question, I, I think people can make that leap. All right. So there you have it. The top 10 episodes of our first hundred. I hope you enjoyed. I would love to hear from you on Instagram, which one resonated with you the most. If you're going to tag uh, one of our, our guests, make sure to do that. Tag them, tag me. And I've got a free gift for you as well. Um, kind of my special treat. I just recorded this today for you, actually. And what it is, is it's a five-minute goal achievement visualization. You know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, I'm, I'm big on the power of our mind and how we can use visualization to begin to create reality the way that we want to, to begin to create our life the way we want to. And as much as, you know, probably at this point, you're probably quite aware of it. Experience has shown me that very few people spend time taking time to visualize the things that they want. They understand logically that, yes, I think that's a good idea. I've read about it. I've heard about it. But then the mind kind of gets, I'll do it later. You know, it's not that important. Probably won't even work anyways. And we come up with all these stories so we don't end up doing it. And very few people do it consistently. So, what I've done is created a quick one. I think it's five or six minutes to walk you through having already achieved your goal. And I really believe that if you start to apply this in your life, it can really help you. So it's my gift to you. So if you go to benspangle.com forward slash gift, and you'll be able to download that free visualization on achieving your goals. My thank you uh, for listening to this episode. And again, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you. It's wonderful. Wonderful to be doing life with you in whatever capacity that we are, even if we've never met face-to-face or online. I appreciate you a bunch. I'll see you soon.